Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Late night Midnight on the interstate And I didn't feel so great Welcome back to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. My guest today, Brian Lawton, the 1983 number one overall pick in the NHL entry draft, the former GM of the Tampa Bay Lightning, former North Star St. Thomas graduate, and uh, now current NHL network analyst. He's absolutely awesome. And this was just a really fun podcast to talk about how he first got into the Asian business, then how he became the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning GM and then worked his way into TV, his aspirations still to uh, go work for a franchise again. He interviewed for the Wild GM job. He'd love to be a GM again or work for a team really in any capacity at some point as much as he loves uh, doing TV. But we talk about absolutely everything from uh, playing the hero in the Mark Paris story that I wrote um, in early December, which I highly recommend if everybody hasn't seen, uh, to the Minnesota Wild who have won four straight games, which we'll talk about in a, in a couple minutes, um, to uh, what he would do if he was the Wild GM heading into the trade deadline uh, Kirill Kaprizov, uh, Claude Julien with the Montreal Canadiens, um, centers that he thinks the Wild should go after. Um, we talk about so much stuff. It's just such a great, interesting, uh, fun uh, podcast to listen to as, as Brian Lawton is just always a great guest. Uh, this um, 
this podcast reminded me of a lot of my phone calls with Brian Lawton. When I when I talked to him on the phone, it could be an hour, hour and a half conversation just about everything. And so this was a, just a really fun podcast to do. Um, man, the Minnesota Wild, a, a lot has changed as usual. It just seems like every podcast we do, uh, things change from, from week to week. And what have we had since the Wild uh, returned last week against the LA Kings? But four straight victories from the Minnesota Wild where they have scored 20 goals, 17 points. Uh, 17 guys have points in their last four wins. Uh, Matt Zuccarello just absolutely on fire right now. Nine points in his last four games on a line with Kirill Kaprizov. And Victor Rask, who has just come out of nowhere to finally get an opportunity after being mostly fourth-line center or in the press box for a lot of his two years with the Minnesota Wild. Well, he comes in now. He centers. Uh, he takes Marcus Johansson's uh, spot. He's got a, a wonky back right now. He takes him uh, his spot in Anaheim and just immediately fits in with Kaprizov and Zuccarello, who have just immense chemistry. Um, the other thing that's happened is Ryan Hartman has moved from fourth line right wing to third line center with Zach Parisi and Marcus Foligno, and that line's been one of the best lines the last three games as well. Parisi's playing his best hockey in a long time. Um, at the last couple games, Foligno's been just awesome. And uh, Hartman now, six points in his last four games for a career-long four-game point streak. And, um, you know, it's just been really fun to watch. The other thing is we keep on talking about Kirill Kaprizov Kaprizov and how it's his calder to lose. Well, how about Capo Kakinen right now? Five and one on the road. Um, he started five straight games, and now with Cam Talbot coming back in the lineup, Dean Evison's got a lot of decisions to make on a nightly basis on who starts. The Wild come back from this four-game road trip. They've taken today off. Uh, Friday and Saturday, they play back-to-back home games against the other hottest team in the NHL, the LA Kings, who have won six games in a row. Um, Kakinen will obviously start, obviously start one of those games. Cam Talbot will start the other probably Saturday, I would think. And then the Wild immediately go back on the road for two games in Vegas, which actually I plan on going to, um, two games in Arizona before they come back and have a lot of home games coming up against the Vegas Golden Knights, the Arizona Coyotes, um, the Anaheim Ducks, and the St. Louis Blues for the month of March. But man, it's been a really fun team to cover the last couple games, just watching this team score goals by the boatloads. Uh, you know, when have we ever seen the Wild uh, get, what is it, 12, 17 goals in the last three games, 12 in the last two? Uh, they are just uh, filling the net up every single night. So enjoy it while it lasts, and uh, we'll see if it can continue against a, a, an L.A. Kings team playing really, really well. But without further ado, here is Brian Lawton. And as mentioned, uh, the number one overall pick in the 1983 draft, uh, former North Star, current NHL Network analyst, and uh, most importantly, uh, Brian Lawton's son, Jack, sold me my last iPhone. How are you? Yeah. That is the most important thing. He needs those sales. Yeah. I walk into the Apple store once at the, uh, I forget which mall is it? Roseville, right? Rosedale. Correct. I walk in there and, and I'm like, um, I'm being like sold this iPhone from this guy. And I'm like, God, this, he looks so familiar. And next thing he knows, it turns out to be Jack Lawton. <laughs> like, what are the chances? Jack, Jack has since he had that job <clears throat> while he was in college, he went to St. Thomas. He's graduated and now he's working uh, at a real company, Sports Digita. Nice for us. Yeah, but poor We're, Jack still gets text messages from me anytime I have an iPhone problem. And uh, and uh, <laughs> hey, uh, well, tell me what to do on this setting here. Uh, why is this not happening? So, well, be careful because he'll start texting you questions about the NHL if you <laughs> ask him too much. So that, be prepared. 
That's quite all right. Um, well, Brian, uh, let's get started. First of all, on the Minnesota Wild. I mean, you know, two weeks ago, uh, not only were they on shutdown, I'm just thinking like their season was going to be over. They're, they come back against the LA Kings. They obviously have half the lineup missing, five defensemen missing. Their number one goalie still missing. And they worked their butt off against the Kings, but obviously undermanned. And next thing you know, you just think that this thing's going to spiral out of control. And what what do you know? Four games since they've won four in a row. They've scored twenty goals. The Zuccarello, Rask, and and Kaprizov lines playing out of its mind. Hartman moves to center. He's playing out of its mind. Capo Kakin and Kaprizov look like true Calder Trophy contenders here. What's going on with the Minnesota Wild? Uh. I don't want to say it's shocking. It's certainly great, you know, to see them pop out of this uh, COVID protocol that they were under. And some teams have come out and done well right away, but eventually it's kind of reared its ugly head, the fact of missing time. Minnesota Wild, you know, I watched that first game against LA. That's kind of what you expected from the team. It's the four games after that where they've just seemed to have gotten better and better and better every night. They've got a million things going right. Last night on NHL Network, I said, look, don't sleep on this team. This team Mm -hmm. is good. They have what I believe in, which is you build your team through the D, and they have a really good D. They have had it for a long time, and that always makes them competitive. But now they're getting some additions in different areas that are really strengthening them, obviously in the goaltending with Kotkin, and he's been terrific. And then when you add in Kaprizov, he's been everything that Minnesota Wild fans could have hoped for and really even more if you if you watch his game closely he's just a really dynamic player that's got an incredibly bright future so uh the one knock that i would have against the wild is that first of all nobody owns a winning record against the wild this year just for the record (laughs) just to clarify that colorado is two and two but they have played anaheim la and of course san jose for the majority of their games L.A., to be fair, has played terrific, although I think the Wild were three and two against them in their five games. Uh, They've dominated San Jose and Anaheim. So we want to see them now against the big boys in a decision, you know, and then, you know, in competition, I mean, and then make our decision as to what do we really think of the Minnesota Wild. But for me, they've been a really pleasant surprise. Yeah, and Brian, Zach Parisi said the exact same thing last night where he said they haven't played Santa, St. Louis yet, haven't played Vegas. Uh, they've got Vegas coming up here in a, in a uh, next week. They go to Vegas for the first time, then go to Arizona. They don't play the Blues for quite a while just because of the, the makeup games really coming in the month of April. Um, and by the way, Brian is coming to us from the Residence Inn in Secaucus, New Jersey, where he's uh, working for NHL Network. And uh, well, we're actually going to, I mean, it's interesting because we're doing this on Zoom. So I actually see Brian and I've, I've described this hotel that, uh, in a story that I wrote on Mark Parrish back in December that we'll talk to Brian about uh, as well. And uh, as you know, also Brian, uh, former Tampa Bay Lightning uh, um, GM. That, that, that's the other thing I wanted to ask you about the Wild before we move on, Brian, is is the, the one big difference that I see with the Wild still that I compare it to teams with maybe more star power, arguably, with, than the Colorado Avalanche is their overall depth up front. Like when you have Zach Parisi, Ryan Hartman, and Marcus Foligno as your third line, and guys like Nick Benino, Nico Sturm on your fourth line, that's a, that's a pretty deep lineup, and and that's the one thing that I still think the Avalanche lack to be a true Stanley Cup contender. You, you can't just ride three players to to the promised land, in my opinion. You need overall depth, and that's the one thing that I think the Wild have over a lot of teams in this division. 
Yeah, no, I agree with that. They've got it on the back end, which is, as I mentioned already, yep. is super important to me when I look at structuring teams. But they also do have it up front. And even just bringing back a guy like Marcus Foligno, a lot of people said, oh, my goodness, that's a lot of money mm-hmm. for Marcus Foligno. I think the guy's worth every penny of it and more, quite frankly. He just brings so much. You're, you knew he brought so much to the team off the ice. Now he's having more success than ever. He really looks like a guy that's getting his confidence, believing in himself more, contributing more offensively. And when you add that complete package up in today's game, it's it's really valuable. That was a terrific decision, in my opinion, by Billy Guerin. Um, Brian, let's uh, talk a little bit NHL right now. I mean, uh, you know, the Wild lack that number one center still. And I think that Bill Guerin has tried to, uh, you know, develop now through the draft. You know, they, they draft Marco Rossi, they draft Huznadinov. Um, it feels like that's going to be the, how the Wild acquire that. But do you see uh, any chance that really that a Jack Eichel or Sasha Barkov become, uh, you know, players that could be potentially had v- via trade? Barkov, no. I don't see any chance that that happens. I just think he's too valuable down there. I know some of the people on their staff, and I know what they think of him, and they mm-hmm. think very highly of him. Now, Huberto has been kind of all the rage this year, but Barkoff is still the guy that stirs the drink, and that's not lost on our management team, so I don't see that being a possibility. Jack Eichel, Buffalo Sabres, what's transpired thus far? Boy, I'd say just about anything's on the table, and I probably could add in uh, Mika Sabinishad as well to that mix. I know those teams have been rumored recently to be contemplating maybe a deal. Um, Zabinijad, for whatever reason, has not performed well, just uh, four points going into last night's game. And uh, things haven't gone well. But those are two guys that are real quality guys. A third guy, if I was Minnesota Wild and I was looking for a center that I wouldn't sleep on, they're playing really well right now, would be a Ryan Nugent Hopkins, a guy that's going to be an unrestricted free agent this summer. So uh, there, there are some options out there. Uh, there's obviously some challenges with quarantining and things like that if you make a trade with a Canadian team. But um, I like the way that Billy approached it. I saw your story the other day and Billy's comments that, you know what, in today's NHL, it's not necessarily what Billy might have seen mostly in his management career, of course, which was Malkin and Crosby, which is a pretty good tandem down the middle. Uh, but in today's game, it's more of just having a player on each line that could drive that and drive a line. And I actually agree with that philosophy. I do think it's working well for the wild. And I do think they have a lot of depth up front. They just don't have a pillar or even a couple of pillars like some of the organizations out there down the right. Uh Brian, we, you know, your career, t- talk about running the gamut. I mean, you, you start off as a player, obviously a, a fantastic player, number one pick in the 1983 draft. Then you leave hockey and you become an agent. And a, a, I mean, a firm that still exists today with a lot of great agents still in Octagon. How did that all come about? Because I don't even know if I've ever really talked to you about where you first made that transition. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. It was kind of a, a pretty simple and logical transition for me. I always wanted to work in NHL management, but I wanted to learn the business side before I did that, just to have a foundation, you know. Uh, generally, when you're a first pick overall, you get a chance to start a little bit earlier. So college doesn't normally happen for you. Although I did go to college, I went to St. Thomas while I played, to which everybody thought I was crazy because why would I go to college when I'm playing in the NHL? <laughs> but uh, that was kind of in my DNA, I guess. Um, ultimately, though, the reason 
that's the main reason I got into it. And the driving force was that I was a player representative on three different teams that I played on. I didn't have a fantastic career, Mike, but thank you for saying that. That's very kind well, of you. I, I played in 500 games. So yes, I was there long enough to understand it. I'm very proud of that, but it, it is what it is. I got a chance uh, as a player rep, though, to really kind of look more at the business end of it. And before I retired, you'll laugh at this story. It happened to me at least seven or eight times where teams would say, hey, Brian, you know, I'm having trouble with my contract. This would be guys on my team. Is there any way, you know, you would talk to Jack Ferrer or Dean Lombardi <laughs> at the time about my contract? Because I was the player rep. I knew what was going on, and, and I understood contracts across the league. And I would say, uh, you know, I would love to. But you do know I play on the team too, right? <laughs> so it's not really a great position for me to go argue for you while I'm a member of this team. But when I'm done, I used to say, I'm going to represent players, and I will represent you. And that actually happened for a number of guys uh, that were, were friends and became clients very quickly. And that helped to get me started in the agent business, which eventually uh, led to myself, Noel, Ron, some other people to help me get started when I first got going to build a very small firm that had about 20 total clients and about 12 in the NHL. I sold that firm to Octagon, who you referenced, who Mike Lee runs now, and they have mm -hmm. tons of clients including uh, Kakanen on the Wild and Devin Dubnik, who was there, of course, and many, many other guys. Al and Stalock. I Stalock, of course, and, and it's a firm that encompasses uh, a number of different agents. We set it up that way way back when. Before I left, I was fortunate enough to work out a deal with Ben Hankinson, uh, who, of course, is a very well-known Minnesota guy and a fantastic uh, agent, but also a fantastic human being I've known all my life. Uh, pretty much, certainly since I've been in Minnesota. And uh, those guys just do a great job. And uh, Octagon lives on today because of those great people. But uh, my business was the first foray into hockey. I ran it for about 10 years and then resigned to go be the general manager, essentially, in Tampa Bay. Yeah, well, which we'll we'll talk about uh, in, in a second. Um, do you... Uh how did you first get your clients? I, I remember first, um, you know, as we say in the sports writing world, dealing with, with you, <laughs> you always deal with agents. Um, right. you know, I remember first dealing with you when I was in South Florida, I think Lance Pitlick maybe, um, came down there as a free agent. If, did you guys have Lance Pitlick at the time? I did not have Lance. Oh, okay. Ben Hankinson. Okay. Jeff Solomon and then Ben Hankinson eventually. That had okay. Lance. Yeah, so, so Lance so, and I are good friends. Yeah. It would have been, it might've been Mark. Yeah. Parrish. Yeah. It, you know, absolutely. It definitely would have been Mark Parrish um, yeah. when he was traded there from the Colorado Avalanche for fan favorite Tom Fitzgerald. Um, <laughs> so so uh, which and then it's funny because then when Parrish was traded for Roberto Luongo and Ole Oaken and the fans went crazy down in South Florida because Mark had an incredible first two years down there scoring 50 goals. And and then all of a sudden they quickly forgot about Parrish. Um, <laughs> but but how did you first go about getting your clients? Uh, way back when, you know, I had some guys that hired me immediately and I thought, oh, this is the easiest job in the world. I know a bunch of players that will hire me. Well, the business started to get more competitive, but the very first guy I really, truly wanted to represent was a kid by the name of Chris Marinucci. If you remember that name, went on and won the Hobie Baker Award, mm -hmm. played, at, played at UMD. And uh, boy, I worked my tail off. I went up there. I saw probably 
15 of his games, made that drive continually. There was another kid I was recruiting, Freddie Knipscher out of St. Cloud, worked my tail off, did everything right, didn't have any clients other than the guys that had hired me. And lo and behold, I got blown out on both of those guys and didn't get either one. Now, that shocked the heck out of me. And it was a great just punch in the gut for me. Mm. It, it, it taught me very quickly that, hey, I'm going to have to do a lot better. I'm going to have to up my game if I want to get quality players. And um, that's exactly what I did. But uh, Kurt Overhart, who I'm friends with, beat me out on both those players. I studied everything he did, why I lost, why I didn't get him. I called these players. I demanded to know, please tell me why you didn't hire me. And it was really a humbling experience. But I had a bunch of people that were really successful business people, like my father-in-law, Noel Ron, that uh, they just gave me really great advice. And I feel really fortunate to do that. There were two things they did. Always find out why if it doesn't work out. And the other thing was, don't take clients. There was lots of hockey clients to be had at that time, but this this can be for anybody that wants to get in the agent business. It is a business. And although I could have had 50 clients immediately, unfortunately, most of them would have been in the East Coast League, and it does not allow mm-hmm. you to build the type of business you want to build. So uh, at Noel's urging, he'd say, just write down the top 10 players you want to get as clients. And when you don't know what to do, don't take lesser clients that you won't be able to do great work for. Hold out till you can get good ones. And when you don't know what to do, pull out that credenza with those list of names on it and call those people, work on those people, spend your time on building your relationships there and that will serve you well. And that is exactly what I did. One of the names on that list, a, a couple of names that you know, all three of them really, was Mark Parrish, Eric Rasmussen, and Josh DeWolf. Mm-hmm. And they all were, you know, local players. And um, I spent a ton of time on them. And eventually all three of them ended up working with me. Josh uh, never really played in the National Hockey League, but he was a second round pick by the Devils, signed a contract, uh, is doing fantastic in life. I still uh, am in touch with him. And Eric Rasmussen, of course, was seventh. Overall, Mark Parrish, I feel like, was in the 70s maybe mm-hmm. was a, third was round. A early third round yep. pick seven, 79th is coming back to me mm-hmm. and uh, of course he had a fantastic career as well so for all the kids that are listening out there that is the way i would uh, tell them to to approach it of course it's different now competition was much less back then when i started Right. And uh, if you're from the Twin Cities, you definitely know Noel Ron. He uh, he owns Velocity Hockey. Also also smokes a mean cigar down at Castro's every now and then as well, huh, Brian? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, let me ask you this. Um, I'm, I'm trying to th- think where to go to. We'll, we'll go to Mark Parrish in a little bit because I do want to talk to you about that entire story. Um, but then, you know, in 2008, I kind of wish I was on Twitter at that point. I, I got on it late in the game in 2009. Uh, in 2008, if I was on Twitter from the Weston in downtown Ottawa, I would have tweeted out, uh, sources tell me that Brian Lawton's currently meeting with Len Barry and Oren Coolis. And by the way, not to name drop, but I was having breakfast that morning uh, with Bobby Orr and Jeff Rimmer in the, in the, uh, in the restaurant in the Weston in Ottawa. You guys didn't exactly hide your meeting that you were meeting with the two owners of the Tampa Bay Lightning at the time, Brian. Uh, you know what? Uh, I, I had spoken to Len 
who Donnie Meehan was a great, very gracious to help me out with that because Donnie was representing him in his career. He wasn't, he was retired already then. Um, but I had never really spent any time with Len and I certainly had never met Oren Coolis before that. That was the first time actually you were there that I met them. And I had and been Oren Coolis, by the way, uh, uh, Hollywood producer, all the saw, the saw, uh, legacy of those movies. Yes, exactly. Did two and a half men and also yep. was the owner of the franchise saw, which his latest and greatest will be out sometime when we're allowed to go back to theaters. Yep. I believe it's Saw 7 and Chris Rock is the star <laughs> of it. So that's wow. going to be awesome. Oren, uh, Len, I don't talk too much anymore, but uh, Oren Coolis is one of my best friends uh, to this Great day. Guy. Fantastic human being. Son Miles is playing in uh, with Binghamton right now, the Devils. Yeah. I think Hockey Miles League. came to a wild development camp at one point, maybe. Uh, he, he absolutely yeah, did. Your very memory, skilled player, yeah. Yeah, you, you absolutely uh, are dead on on that. So great guy. Enjoyed it. Um, you know, it's a process to get those jobs. It's very, very competitive. Yeah. The uh, what was the whole experience like in Tampa? I mean, that could we could probably do an entire uh, couple podcasts on that. Um, as I remind people, uh, you were the one that drafted uh, Victor Hedman, <laughs> uh, um, in a fight, I believe, yeah. with the with the scouting staff down there. Um, yeah. What was the whole process like? It was a bit of a, a bit of a whirlwind down there. Yeah, it was. It was a really tough time economically. Um, you know, obviously, if you remember back then, we had the mortgage bubble. People were, you know, losing their homes and mortgages left, right, and center. Uh, when I got hired, the team had finished dead last at that particular draft, which I did not run the draft. Jay Feaster was there, even though I was hired at that time. Um, you know, the prize was obviously Steven Stamkos. Right. Uh, so, you know, it, 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 there were some really great things happening, but we had a long way to go as a group. And I knew that, and I knew it was going to be a challenge. And to be honest with you, it was even more of a challenge than I expected. Uh, unfortunately, because of, you know, some of the financial times uh, going on around the world, um, we just couldn't do maybe all the things we wanted to do. Eventually a new person bought the team and my contract was not renewed, Jeff Finnick, um, but not before we went on and drafted Victor Hedman. And, uh, you know, kind of cleaned up what was going on there. They had finished dead last. There were a lot of anomalies there. They had made a trade that year at the trade deadline. They traded their second round pick, the club, for Chris Gratton, who you remember, of course. Yeah. And uh, former flyer. Which, former flyer, which isn't unusual. Um, but the abnormality was they finished dead last. Yeah. So they made a trade at the deadline to make the playoffs. And then they finished dead last before the end of the season. It's not that long. So uh, there was just a lot of work to do there. Uh, we got after it right away. You know, people had been hired before I started. Barry Melrose. Yeah. Players. Tell me about that. So, yeah. You know, so Barry's a great guy. I work with him here at NHL Network. Um, unfortunately, you know, we would end up letting Barry go 16 games into the season. And, um, you know, we, we had some philosophical differences on certain players, things like that. Uh, it was tumultuous time. Um, it, it wasn't a lot of fun because uh, I think really highly of, of Barry. He ended up going right back to ESPN and everybody knows him as essentially the face of hockey in the U.S. And he deserves that because uh, he does an awesome job and he is a good guy. But uh, that hiring 
know, it, it's tough. You, you know, it's, it's a little bit apropos. You hear Mike Babcock yesterday talking about, oh, you know, I believe firmly GM has to have his guy and a coach, and that wasn't necessarily the case with Barry. I accepted it as a first-year general manager. I didn't have any choice, and I was anxious to get started on that job. But that that created a lot of uh, uh, angst, uh, not only for for uh, Barry, but for myself as well. Um, you know, just uh, it, it just it takes time to turn a team around. When you're dead last in the league, you can do it. I had a real specific plan. We never purposely tried to lose hockey games, but um, you know, after getting Stamkos. I felt really strongly that uh, we wouldn't necessarily be challenging the next year, but that third year is when we would have a good team. And that's what I built all of our plans around. And even though I got let go before that third year, the team was fourth overall, 20 games into the season, and they ended up finishing eighth and making it to the conference finals. Yeah. So I, I always took a lot of gratitude uh, um, in that. The reality is Steve Eiserman came in and he did a wonderful job. But as fans saw last year, uh, it certainly was helpful to have some guys like Stamkos and uh, Hedman, some gifts that we left Stevie uh, and the rest of the organization have served them well. Stevie, of course, is on his own challenge now in Detroit. And, um, you know, it, it happened so uh, quickly for him in that first year. I think it's been, um, you know, I, I talked to Stevie before he took that job, so he, he knew what he was getting into there. It yeah. wasn't necessarily going to be as quick a turnaround. I think Detroit is going to end up terrific under his leadership. It's just going to take more time as now they're into their second season, and essentially uh, they're doing better than last year, but only marginally. I would expect next year or even the year after that when you see Detroit jump up. The hardest part of being a GM, it doesn't feel like almost every team that wins a Stanley Cup, you can look back and say the previous GM helped build that foundation. And I used to think that all the time with Brian Murray. I mean, you never won a Stanley Cup as a GM, yet you look at that Anaheim team when he was in Ottawa and all those pieces he pretty much brought there. You, you, heck, in Chicago, Dale Talon and Rick Dudley there don't don't get the the uh you know really the the satisfaction of being there for it or Tampa when they won the first cup you know Rick Dudley um right you know it's it's it is isn't it amazing that like that's got to be the hardest part when you're fired GM and then that team goes on to have uh incredible success I mean can you imagine if the wild go on or something and Paul Fenton uh all the guys that he actually brought here that are now actually panning out yeah it, it's true and you know Paul Obviously had a rough ride when it was said and done there, but uh, in the end, he did a lot of good things in a short period of time. Um, ultimately, if you study this, and anybody that's been a GM or wants to be a GM really understands what's transpired over the last 25, 30 years. So if you go back 25 years ago, from essentially 96 to the almost the beginning of the salary cap era, that was the era of super teams. You had all these guys that would congregate together. You look at Detroit, Colorado, and New Jersey. And they were filled with Hall of Fame players. That was a different era. There was no salary cap, and you were able to amalgamate these groups. And Billy Gurren, certainly, although he was an outlier in at that time, he won a Stanley Cup in '99, I believe, with Dallas. Um, he was he did make it to the finals a couple of years in a row, but he did see and understand that 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 was a different era. Then we had some kind of anomaly times. 
when Tampa won, Carolina won, some different teams, and new strategies came into place. When I look at the 10 years after that, so if you fast forward from like 08, that was the Pittsburgh, uh, Chicago, and LA years where they won eight cups, just like the other three teams I mentioned won eight cups from 96 to 04, Colorado, New Jersey, Detroit. Well, now you had Chicago, Pittsburgh, and LA who were all built off of exactly what you said, Mike, past experiences. Those teams all had top picks. I think we're in a little bit of a new era now. And I think St. Louis began that because St. Louis wasn't built the way those other teams were. The salary cap has had other effects as we've gotten deeper into it. And uh, this is an era, quite frankly, if you were Billy Guerin or any of the GMs, that's more wide open than ever. We really, truly don't know who's going to win the cup this year. It's not so much of a done deal like we saw in in the previous 20 years. So it's exciting times to be managing a team in the Minnesota wild, what they've done. Um, I think they've made a lot of progress in a short time. I do think Paul Fenton helped. I think Chuck Fletcher helped with certain moves, um, but it, it's not necessarily uh, going to be, uh, you have to fail to be good in these next 10 years. Right. And I think that will bode well for the wild because they never really have failed, not consistently. They haven't had, you know, a couple of years like we did in Tampa when you get Stamkos and Hedman. They haven't had the years like Chicago did when you get Taves and Kane. They haven't had the year even like L.A. did when they got a guy like Kopitar and Dowdy in a run. So uh, they, it, it's it's an interesting time. The game is in, Mike, in my opinion, uh, the most exciting time that I have ever seen it. I watch Patrick Kane and his spinorama. I watch what Connor McDavid's doing. I watch Austin Matthews. and uh, it's contagious, the skill level. You do those things when I was playing, you get punched in the face. You know, you, just, you certainly have 39 players mad at you, 20 on, on the other team and 19 on your own. Skill, just it was just not accepted. You're told to bear down. Don't do those things. I see Patrick King go for a spin a beautiful goal. It's celebrated. I turn on the TV the next night, and I see big Alex Tuck doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, you see Matthew Kachuk open a game up the other night with the first play where he takes a shot between his legs from 35 feet out. I love that. I think that is so uh, exciting for fans in today's world. Uh, I just think uh, society has changed and the game has changed. Fighting is significantly down. Uh, The National Hockey League is really, truly in a great place. And uh, I don't know about people in Minnesota. I live in Minnesota, but I'm out here a lot. And I don't care what time the Edmonton Oilers are playing. I tune in for every Mm -hmm. game of theirs. I just love watching Connor McDavid. I think it's absolutely amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Dean Evison said the same thing uh, a couple of weeks ago when Kirill Kaprizov came in on that one uh, play down his off wing and put it between his legs. And man, if he would have scored, it would have been a highlight reel. But he brought up the same thing he said after the game that would have gotten you killed years ago. Uh, let me ask you, you, you talked about managing and how exciting it is to be a manager in today's day and age. You know, you, you do such a great job on the NHL network. I think that anybody uh, that tunes in feels like every time they listen to you, they learn something. They see how cerebral you are. Um which I know that you could probably still bring to a team as well. Um, 
uh, I've reported, I assume I was right, because I'm never wrong, that you uh, interviewed for the Wild GM job uh, uh, this time around. Uh, I mean, how much would you like to get back into it? Or or are you, you know, did that sort of tickle you just because it was your local team here and, you know, and you're here in Minnesota? Or would you like to get back into that chair no matter where it is? Uh, I absolutely would like to do it again. Uh, the, The network here is so gracious to me. And I've told them this. Uh, I don't want to necessarily do it anywhere, but in the right opportunity, it is a big strain on on a number of things. Uh, my wife runs a tech, a tech company in the Twin Cities. I mentioned already Sports Digital because my son is working there. That company is really exploding. Um, she does an incredible job running that. I help out somewhat, but we're a little bit tied to that in the short term. But uh, we've discussed it. I've discussed it with NHL Network, as I said, uh, they tell me consistently, we love having you, Brian, and you're welcome here as long as you'd like. Uh, but they understand that if a job comes up and I want to interview for it, uh, and they want me to interview for it, I will do that. And they don't have to be kind of uh, jumped by that news. And, and, and that's the reason why I told them. As you get older, you learn how to do things better. Um, I think I'm a byproduct of that. And uh, those are things that are important to me. Just uh, you want to be straight with people. I I managed players that way in Tampa and I would do it again, but it's even progressed from where it was back in 2010, 11. It just, uh, you know, the world's changing quickly. Everybody in Minneapolis knows that was just, you know, local events that have happened there. They've, they've changed and they're going to shape lives for, you know, ever. It's significant and players are no different. Uh, when I played, you could, you know, uh, nobody talked to you. Nobody really told you what was going on. If you weren't playing, you just weren't playing. And a lot of times you'd find out, which I always thought was brutal, but you would find out by walking in the locker room and going over to your stall and your jersey wouldn't be hanging. Yep. Like, like that happened to me, like, I don't know, at least. 10 times in my first two years, I'd be like, you don't even have the common courtesy to tell me I'm not playing. Yeah. You know, I mean, I remember I was, uh, I had Curtis Foster on the uh, podcast like three or four ago. And I, I brought that up to him. I was once interviewing him outside the the Rexall Place locker room. The visiting game it was a second of back-to-back to play Calgary the night before. So player availability was before the game. And I'm standing in front of the locker room. He's talking to me about how excited he is to play that night. And I said, are you sure you're playing? And he's like, yeah, why? And I'm like, well, Mario Tremblay is walking away with your jersey right now. And we're <laughs> two and a half hours before the game. And he looks in there. He goes, I'll be right back. And then he came out <laughs> five minutes later. He goes, yeah, I'm not playing tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no doubt that uh, we have progressed. And those things don't happen anymore yeah. in the National Hockey League. And, and you know, we progressed like society. But, uh, you know, it was a different world. Tell me about the interview process with the Wild without giving away all your state secrets, but I assume you came, sure. knowing you, I assume you came in really, really prepared to meet with Craig Leopold and Matt Maka. You know, I don't know how you felt at the time. Uh, I know you were out of the country at the beginning of the process and came back in. Yep. I don't know if you felt at the time that, you know, it was pretty much Bill Guerin's job at that point, but uh, but I, I know that they enjoyed meeting with you. Yeah, I, I think it probably was in hindsight. Unfortunately, I happened to be over uh, on a trip in Positano when this uh, most unexpected, unexpected news yeah. happened that some guy on this podcast broke, uh, <laughs> to which to which I was completely shocked. 
And I, and I stand by that 100%. The news of a change at that time was very, very unusual. Yep. Uh, unusual enough where I would literally say to my wife, well, you know, honey, it's fine to we can go over to Europe for a couple of weeks at that time because nothing ever happens in yeah. hockey. Well, world. I just had come back from Europe and Colorado. I went, I went right from Europe. I, I can't, I was in Italy as well. If I remember correctly, come back. You and were I, in Tuscany. Yeah, I remember. And I flew right to, uh, uh, Colorado to go to a trample by turtles concert. And then I come back to town. Next thing I know it's like, uh, I started to hear rumbling. So I enjoyed the process. Uh, you know, I, uh, was I prepared? <sighs> In my opinion, I did everything possible to try to get that job. And right. when Craig called me before he announced, because uh, that's the type of guy Craig is, he's, he's a straight shooter all the way around. When he called to let me know, um, he certainly, without getting into it, it's a private conversation, but he was very, very gracious. And uh, I appreciated that. But I didn't have uh, any hard feelings. I didn't have any regrets in terms of, geez, I should have done a little bit more work or been more prepared. I, I was very, very prepared. Uh, I think they made a good choice in Billy. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a terrific guy. Um, I've known him for a long time. He also is a straight shooter. And I think, uh, you know, in, in the short time that he's been there so far, he's made some really meaningful and impactful changes for the organization. So I look for uh, continued success by the wild and even bigger things to be happening for them in the future. Do you, does, uh, for, if you were ever to leave TV for going to a team, does it have to be the big, the big chair or, you know, you're so valuable when it comes to cap and, and analysis and analytics and things like that. You could be such a great support person for a GM. I mean, would you ever go to a, a, a team in a role either, whether it's an assistant GM or a president of hockey ops role, where you could be really almost an advisor? Would you do that? Um, I absolutely would. Uh, I just want to go back and work for a team mm -hmm. at some time. I, I missed it. I love working at NHL Network, um, but you never get that feeling of when you're uh, not that I'm not a part of it. I'm a part of their team, and we have a great team, but we're not competing in the NHL, right? And that part you can't duplicate anywhere else, and that is the part that I miss. I would love to contribute. Um, sometimes I think people believe because. I was in charge of Octagon. I ran my own firm. I was in charge of Tampa that you have to be the leader. That's not the case. I think I'm a great um, supportive person as well. And uh, that's the way I really manage it. Uh, there's no uh, one genius and 10,000 idiots philosophy with me. Right. Running a hockey team is an all in event. And if you look at like Tampa went on and had great success and I said, Steve did a great job. There's 10 other people in that front office that did an amazing job. And Steve would be the first person to say that. You don't always hear those things, but that's the reality of it. That's what I believe in my core. And that's what I know to be true. So, uh, yes, uh, I, I would absolutely consider that. I have actually talked to some of my different friends at times about that. It hasn't worked out yet, obviously, but you never know in the future. Yep. Uh, Brian, uh, I, I'd like to take a, just a quick break. I, when we come back, I do want to talk to you about, um, about Mark Parrish and you being uh, really the central hero in a feature that I wrote about, uh, about Mark 
back in uh, December. I also have a ton of Twitter questions. And I also want to tell people that if you are uh, listening to this podcast, one, you can subscribe to The Athletic for the, at theathletic.com slash straight from the source. You can get in for $3.99 a month. We also have podcasts throughout our platform. I mean, just dozens and dozens throughout The Athletic. Uh, two of my favorites are uh, is uh, hosted by one, Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun on The Athletic Hockey Show, Two Man Advantage. Pierre Luc Dubois from the Winnipeg Jets and uh, Steve Mayer, the NHL uh, executive who broke his leg at the outdoor game in Lake Tahoe. Uh, they're, they're on this week with uh, Pierre and and uh, Scott Burnside. Also, Ian Mendes and Haley Salvian have uh, Keith Chuck on the Athletic Hockey Show this week. Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Brian, uh, back in December, I... I um I really wrote a a story that uh, it was it was hard to write because um, you know it's about a player that I have a lot of respect for, um, somebody that I've known really for twenty something years. I, as you mentioned at the top of the show, I covered him in Florida for two years. I covered him with the Minnesota Wild. Um, I've since gotten to know him. He now works for Fox Sports North, so I see him. Uh, I take his chair. I'll take his chair tomorrow night uh, uh, on the Fox Sports uh, panel right after uh, he's done with his hit with uh, Audra Martin, and and that's Mark Parrish. And um, you know, I think those of us have known Mark for a long, long time. And and if you don't know the story about Mark, you go look and read it uh, in early December. But also listen to the podcast when he came on here and talked about all that you and Ben Clymer and Brett Hedekin did with him. But I think we've all known that he's had some. Demons over the years, uh, being with alcoholism, and um, back in in uh, last last probably a month from now, last year, um, there was an incident at NHL Network that you really stepped in, took the took the lead on, and got him in rehab. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the story and how you got involved. Sure, uh, and we're only talking about this because Mark, yes, is the one that really initiated this. These are private matters. Um, I don't want to put words in Mark's mouth, but uh, he, he said this publicly, essentially, uh, you know, some of the accountability of people knowing that what happened to him, some of that accountability could be positive for him. And also he's very hopeful. And I think he's already done it, quite frankly. Uh, his story is so compelling that it's a positive event for other people to know that uh, sometimes, you know, things take a take a bad turn and it can be an ugly turn. But uh, anybody that's seen him on uh, Fox North, my children have all called mm-hmm. me uh, to let me know that they've seen Mark on there. And he's, he looks fantastic. He's doing terrific. Uh, my son, Jack, called me just the other day to tell me he saw Mark on NHL Network. I wasn't here. And uh, he just was so impressed with where he was at. And that, that just that, that makes me really, really happy. Happy enough that I phoned Mark just to tell him that. Because uh, he's a terrific guy, and and I'm pulling for him, and everybody else is. Uh, you and I have talked about it. It's uh, it's not the end of the story. The end of the st- story is how Mark handles himself, and um, you know the math is against him that it goes perfect. 
and you and I are both aware of that, but uh, so far it's been good. And uh, if anybody can do it, it it'll be Mark. Um, but it, it's a challenge every day. My involvement uh, was really just uh, serendipity or circumstance, whatever you want to call time. it. Yeah, I happened to be working the day that Mark was working. And, um, you know, just noticed that something was a little bit off with him in a meeting and pulled him aside and had a very frank discussion with him with a couple of my other coworkers uh, about uh, we were going to go on the air in a few hours and uh, it wouldn't be appropriate for Mark to go on, on the air in the state that he was in. Mark has already, you know, stated this, so I'm just rehashing what's right. public. I would never say anything that's private for a friend like this, certainly to do with this stuff. But he's been open about it, and I will too, and, and I've asked him that directly. Um, so essentially, I pulled him aside, you know, small disagreement, as you can imagine, very uncomfortable for everybody there. It started with him is spilling your venti green tea all over you. <laughs> he did spill. He did spill a Trenta ice cream tea. Trenta, yeah, uh, not even a venti, a Trenta, a Trenta Starbucks all over me. But that in itself isn't an indictment against the person. I do it all the time. I'm I, maybe I'm just that clumsy, but now uh, things you know denigrated down from there, and it, mm -hmm. it did become obvious to me that. Uh, and Jamie Hirsch was another Minnesota name that people will know that was there as well. Nobody else noticed um, in the meeting because they don't know Mark as well as I do. I happen to be sitting next to him too, but um, you know, that that's what started the whole thing off. And then it just started a chain of events Yeah, um, that were nightmare, nightmarish, horrific. Um, yeah, but hopefully, uh, yeah, it's a good story in the end. Yeah, well, I mean, basically, what you know is is that Brian uh, sends sends him back to the hotel that you're currently in, actually, in Secaucus. Um, and behind in this scenes, room, we we can't see it. Because I know we're recording this, but this is the room. Yeah, this you. is yeah that that's exactly what every residence in I've ever been in looks like. Exactly, um, and so you know, which made it probably easier for me to really describe the scene. Uh, at the beginning of that story that I wrote. But basically, behind the scenes, you and Brett Hedekin and uh, Ben Clymer and really all Mark's friends for years have been talking behind the scenes. And I think that you put a lot into, uh, you know, a lot of people on notice the night before that something might be going on. But you get back to your hotel that night, you pound on Mark's door. He doesn't he doesn't answer. He finally texts you back and says, I'm going to sleep. And then uh, again, you could read the story, but Mark then had a horrific night where he, uh, you know, had what he called his God shot, where he realized that, oh, it's you because he was drinking vodka all night long. And finally in the morning, uh, Brian Lawton beats on the door, opens it up. And within minutes, uh, uh, Mark tells Brian, hey, I need help. And, and Brian sets up uh, everything where you leave for a half hour. And next thing you know, everything is set up with sending him to rehab in Arizona. Ben Clymer actually brings him to rehab, um, which is another incredible part of the story. Incredible by yeah. Ben. Incredible. Um, but, you know, a lot of us have friends that we all think, you know, man, they need help and, and none of us step in. And as you mentioned, it's serendipity because you and Brian and Mark actually didn't work a lot together on set at NHL network. You just happened to be that, that night but where did you get the courage to to go this route? Because it 
it, you know, it could have ruined your friendship. It could have sent him on another destructive path. Who knows? Yeah, no, it, it's a tough thing. And, and I'd encourage everybody out there, um, you know, to act. It, it's hard in today's world. People are afraid of everything. Mm -hmm. You're going to get sued for this. You're going to get sued for that. You're going to lose your friend. You know, it, it's, it's, it's personal. And then it's legal the way that we've turned this world into. But uh, most people, you know the difference between right or wrong. This was something that had been talked about amongst friends. It's not an uncommon story. Probably many of the listeners right now know somebody that probably needs help. And I would encourage them to do it. Um, lots of people have reached out to Mark uh, and myself uh, yeah. after they read your story, Mike. It was You surprised me. You've got like trillions more readers than I thought you have. It's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> this athletic thing, I think it might have something. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I'm being facetious. I love coverage in the athletic, and so do a lot of other people. And they did reach out. And one of them was Dave Tippett. And he really, being the coach that he is, the coach of the Edmonton Oilers, of course, and a good friend of mine, I said, well, you know, uh, you know, it wasn't that big a deal, Tip. Uh, I did what anybody would do. Um, and just like any of the listeners out there for a friend, you know, at some point you just, uh, there's no, there's no process that you can go through to validate it. You just know it's either right or wrong. So, you know, I felt terrible about it. I felt very uncertain about it. It wasn't like, uh, even though I knew it was something had to be done and it was wrong, I still had a pit in my stomach. Like, yeah. boy, I hope, boy, I hope I made the right decision and I didn't harm one of my good friends. Yeah, that obviously was not the intention, but I felt like it had progressed beyond that. And I, I had to do something. Yeah, I did it. And Tip said, no, no, lots. He said, and Dave Tippett has had some history of these events in his family, to which he shared openly with me and has talked about in the past. And uh, he just said, hey, I've been there. It's hard. But it's like you're driving home from a, from work today and there's a car accident and you just keep going. Yeah. And you didn't do that. You didn't move the problem to the next person or leave it to somebody else. You stepped in and you should be proud of that. I was like, yeah, that's why you're a coach tip. You're yeah. really good at communicating with people. I, I, I love that. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, that's the way I felt about it. It really is. And and Ben Clymer, Brett Hedekin, Mark's family, his wife, Nikki, uh, everybody um, stepped in took some ownership and accountability of things. And uh, I, I really believe for Mark thus far, uh, that's been an incredible strength for him. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I know that Nikki and, and Mark are incredibly uh, eternally grateful to you and Brett and, and Ben Clymer for the help that they did. And, um, and you're right. I mean, I, you know, I talked to Mark Parrish about this often and I don't think he and I either um, even knew that, the, the amount of help that this story could actually do. I mean, the amount of people that have reached out to Mark it's, that were inspired by his story that actually took it upon themselves to, to get help for themselves or a family member, I think is extraordinary. And, um, and, uh, that, that, man, that's it, the hope, Mike. Yeah, that really is the hope. And I, I know Mark had that in his heart when he wanted to do it. Cause when he first, I know when he first told you and me, yes, <laughs> I was like, uh, I don't know. Well, I remember I, 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 we had talked, uh, over the summertime and, and I remember when I called you, um, 
I think in November, early November, and I told you, hey, I just met with Mark and he's going to go public with his story. And you said to me point blank, look, I'm not going to try to submarine your story, but I am going to go to him. And before I talk to you, I'm going to make sure that this is right. really what he wants, which I think uh, you know says everything again about your friendship. Because if you read the story, uh, Brian Lawton's the hero in the story, he and Ben Clymer. And the fact that you were willing to even just keep that from even becoming public, I think says more again about your integrity and uh, with this story. Yeah. I would say Mark is the hero in the story Mm -hmm. because he's, because the way he's behaving and how he's handling his life. Very true. Um, I'm more of a complimentary player in the story as is Ben Clymer. But again, I I know you're being, I know, I know you're being humble, but I think Mark would be the first one to tell you that when he got to rehab, and they started doing the medical tests on him. He had no clue how close he was to potentially dying or being severely medically um, affected for the rest of his life. And, and uh, you know, it really w- needed to happen or or he might not be here with us right now. Yeah, it, it, that's true. And that that's what makes it so much more serious, I think. And I do take it serious. And uh, I'm not trying to be humble. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really believe that, you know, Mark... He's the guy that's doing the work now. He's the person that, uh, by the good graces of God, somehow, uh, in a in a horrific night, figured out. And th- this is the toughest thing for people out there. Figured out that it is me, and I do need help. Mm-hmm. And when I went into that room the next day, that was the big thing. I remember thinking when I was walking down there. I mean, if Mark can echo the sentiments that he needs help boy there's a lot of things we can do to really help him quickly mm-hmm. and uh fortunately that happened very quickly in our conversation right no doubt about that with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, Brian, if you don't mind, uh, let me just throw some Twitter questions at you. Fire um, away. Yeah, and then we'll uh, talk a little bit more hockey and uh, and wrap up. Um, uh, question from Russo's Filter, which is one of my gazillion parody accounts. Do you, is there anything like uh, Lawton's Turtleneck or anything like that out there on Twitter? <laughs> I got, By like, chance, s- right now, you can take a photo, a screenshot. Yeah, I, I have the turtleneck going. I know, exactly. That's why I figured. So, yeah, Russo Filter yeah. says, have, have you ever uh, participated in any of the North Stars reunion stuff the Wild has done? Were you, were you were in the outdoor game, weren't you? I was not in the outdoor oh, okay. game. I was working the outdoor game for the network. So that I is true. There. I do remember, and I remember that. When TCF. I, Tom I remember Reed when and Annie were the coaches. and Right. When I walked into the locker room, half the guys were looking at me. It was right before the game, and I just wanted to go say hi. 
I'd been freezing my rear end off, even though it wasn't that cold. It's always cold when you're in a suit rinkside outdoors. Yes. Um, so I walked in to say hello, and I saw Mo right away and a couple other guys. And a couple of guys, I remember looking at me going, well, are you going to get ready or what? Yeah, like- what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, I'm working, guys. Uh, I, I would love to. I'm the smart one here. Yeah. I'm getting a paycheck. Right, exactly. So anyhow, um, uh, I, I haven't participated. near. I used to do the golf tournament as much as possible. It's tough for me. I'm gone so much now. Um, when, I, when I have free time in Minnesota, I like to bow hunt. So I like to spend my time outside, believe it or not, certainly in the fall whenever I get any. But uh, I need to do more stuff with the alumni. It was Timmy Young's birthday the other day. I saw that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's a great group of guys. And uh, I just wish I was in town more to be able to participate. As far as the playing goes, uh, I need to have my knees replaced at some point. My playing days are over for hockey. I just want to be healthy, to be honest with you. That's funny. Um, Yeah. uh, By the way, last time I saw Tommy Youngins was... um... Uh, I, I ran into him at the airport or something with Kevin Gorg. It was, I can't remember when that would have been. Youngie's around. I meant to say Tim Young's. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Tommy I thought Young. you meant. Yeah. 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 No, but, uh, Tommy's around too. And, uh, yeah, it, it's been, uh, it's been the strangest of times with the pandemic, obviously, at least when I am in town and I do have free time, I would go to, um, the wild games as much as possible. I enjoy it. Yeah. I enjoy seeing, People like yourself and other friends from around the league, um, you know, just in the press box. So I, I miss that badly. Fans, I'm sure, miss the games. I just miss being over there. And uh, me too. Hopefully, we'll have that back soon. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's it is definitely weird covering these home games uh, with nobody in the arena and even social distancing in the press box. Uh, the the NHL supervisor officials, whether it's Brad Watson or Mike Le- Mike Lego or something like that, they sit to my right now and they put a plexiglass in between us. So it's just abs- it's just a weird existence. I'm looking forward. To actually, I'm going to Vegas on Sunday to cover the two games out there, and it's going to be the first time that Wild fans, if they spend an absolute fortune, uh, get to actually see this team alive, Kaprizov live, and that's the type of story that I'm looking for. So if for some reason a Wild fan is listening and going out to Vegas for that game, I'll get in touch with me because I'd like to uh, do a story on your thoughts on the team. Uh, Tim asked Brian, uh, if he was a GM of this team and they are in playoff position, would he still focus on the future of the franchise by trading the rentals or would he be a buyer? He's talking about guys like Ian Cole, Marcus Johansson, Nick Benino, uh, Nick Bukestad, uh, all pending free agents, uh, Ryan Hartman, uh, pending restricted free agent with Arbrights that could be very expensive. What, what would you do if you're the Wild and maybe you don't think that this team is a true Stanley Cup contender and the plan all along might be to flip some of these guys uh, for assets? Uh, I'd have a hard time doing that, to be honest with you. First of all, I, I do think because of the strength of their D and how well the goaltending has been, and if that holds up, you never know. And, um, you know, we talked about my thoughts on a macro level, what's going on in the NHL. And I do believe if you can just get in and surprise somebody, especially this year more than ever. So I would have a hard time doing that. Now, if someone blew your socks off, would you consider it? Maybe. Uh, I generally think. You know, you're never really standing still in this business. It's kind of like being a trader. You're either buying or you're selling. Um, I'm not sure I would be buying wildly with this team. I think it's too early to make that statement. But if they play the way they've played so far, 
and we start to add in the Vegases and the St. Louises and more games against Colorado and the teams like that, and they have the type of success, boy, I, I, I definitely wouldn't be selling, and I might even consider something small. I like where the prospect pool is at, Mike. I think mm-hmm. it's a little bit understated. There's a there's a few guys that uh, I think have real futures, which you know the Wild haven't really had that. You used to make the Wild when you become that guy almost immediately. Yeah. Do, do, do you think though the price for buying this year is going to be less because of the revenue issues in the league? In other words, like, are, do you really want to give up a boatload of assets to buy pieces? when there's no even there might not even be fans in the crowd in time for the playoffs or at least a su- substantive amount of fans i mean do you think that that um might make trading a little more uh, less plentiful this trade deadline i do mm-hmm. i think we saw it last year i mean a guy like robin leonard just you know it's it's always supply and demand and now you have to add in the weirdness of what's going on with the pandemic you know, I look at Laner last year and, you know, Chicago had committed to move him, didn't really ever find the sweet stop spot in the market. And then lo and behold, he goes for like a second round pick at the end. It's a really low price for, for a guy like him that they were able to sign as well. So I think there's going to be some real bargains come trade deadline. I think it's April 12th. Our dates are off this yep. year, obviously, yeah, yeah. with the pandemic, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's always a fun day, but uh, I'd really be looking forward to it if I was working with a team because I think you're going to be able to uh, make some nice deals. Mm-hmm. Uh, three more questions uh, from uh, Twitter followers. Uh, Tony Schmidt asks um, if uh, GM Brian Lawton were GM Bill Guerin's shoes and needed to trade Matt Dumba so he can go the expansion route with a 731 protection plan, what would he expect to get in return for an asset like Dumba in today's tricky COVID flat cap world? Great uh, question, uh, Brian. Um, the one thing I think that we saw when, when uh, Billy Guerin awarded a no move clause to Jonas Brodeen and Jared Spurgeon, in addition to what was already a no move clause for Ryan Suter, is the plan was to trade Matt Dumba. And I think that the prices weren't anywhere uh, close to what Bill Guerin thought he would potentially get with Matt Dumba, and it might not change. So what do you do? I mean, do, do you do you try to force any trade to get any asset, or do you even potentially leave him exposed and just say, you know what, if they take him, that's $6 million in cap space that I just kept, and I keep all the forwards and the D and, and all that? Yeah, um, I'd be very surprised if the Minnesota Wild wouldn't – if the Minnesota Wild wanted to trade Matt Dumba – if they couldn't make a deal in the end at the deadline before it's all said and done. I really believe that. I just He's a quality player. He's a quality guy. Um, you're going to get quality return for him if they go that route. Uh, there's nothing to say that Billy has to. He could just stay pat. Uh, there's always the ability to make deals. You can only lose. You know, the, the lesson from the last expansion draft is you can only lose one player. And it would be easy to be critical of the Wild now because obviously Alex Tuck played well. Um, a variety of guys ended up playing well that were somewhat related to that, whether directly or indirectly. That was then. People have learned now. And people are going to swallow and take their medicine a little bit quicker this time around than they will go out and try to outthink themselves. It's, so it's going to be hard. It is a great point. Like, yeah, I get fan expansion questions every single day. And, and you think about all the guys, the wild are going to, if they go the eight skater route and protect Dumba, I mean, they're going to have to expose Felino, Hartman, Greenway, Susie, Talbot, 
um, and probably some guys I'm forgetting as well. And the reality is, is that you can still only lose one of them. So it's like we're, we're it's like Wild fans are just stressing. Oh, they got all these problems now that Hartman's playing great and Felino's playing great and Zuccarello's playing great. And you know what are they going to do with Talbot because Kakinen's playing? I mean, you can still only lose one. No, I was just thinking about this literally yesterday. I was going through. I go through everybody's rosters every week. Their salary cap positions, and you know, I'm going through Tampa and Tyler Johnson, Washington native. Yep, was Tampa Bay's best player in the 2015 run to the finals until he hurt his wrist in the finals, and that kind of derailed their chances to beat Chicago that year. Got three years left after this at five million dollars. You know, the Lightning have tried everything to move them. I would imagine that they will get. 20 phone calls from Ron Francis suggesting that we will take Tyler if you give us a first round pick. Mm -hmm. And I think people are going to, they're going to stay away from those types of deals. They're going to resist the urge to do that. Uh, And they're going to come up with other scenarios, specifically what you're saying. You can only lose one guy. Yeah. And in the wilds case, think of all the great names you just named. There's, there's some good names there. Uh, teams tried to outthink themselves and pick which one was the very top of the market and then pay a premium not to lose that piece. Uh, I said this before for the Minnesota Wild, and, and this had to do with the overall structure of the expansion draft. When they came out with the rules, very unpalatable for teams like the Minnesota Wild. And another team I identified at that time was Anaheim, who, of course, lost Shea Weber. Yep. Excuse me, Shea, Th- Theodore. Shea Theodore, not Shea Weber. So, uh, when you add it all up, don't outthink yourself, Minnesota Wild. Take your medicine if you have to. Don't make it worse. You'll be just fine in the end. It's one player and only one player. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of GMs learned a lot of lessons. It's not just Minnesota who gets to watch Alex Tuck star for the Vegas Golden Knights every night. It's like, you know, Anaheim with Theodore and Columbus William Carlson and Florida with Marcia So and Riley Smith. And it's just, you know, it's it's crazy the amount of great players that they were able to. I give George McPhee a ton of credit, man. Uh, he absolutely uh, finagled a heck of a heck of a roster there by by. Putting teams. I don't. Really... I don't think that happens for Ron Francis. No, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not at all. Hey, last question for you. Um, yeah, we can't end uh, a Brian Lawton podcast without getting back to Kirill Kaprizov. Uh, that's who Wild fans uh, are just going on and on and on and on about right now. Um, you get to see uh, more more rookies uh, than any Wild fan really does. They're only just paying attention to Kaprizov, but there's a lot of really fine play by a lot of rookies this year. Um, including, by the way, Kakinen, who's just been absolutely sensational for the Wild. Um, do, do you think right now this is Kaprizov sort of called her to lose, or, or what do you think of him as a player as a whole right now? Uh, yes, I do think he's the front runner. I think he's outstanding. I think he comes in with an advantage uh, in terms of you know his past history of being a pro and his age, um, but that doesn't take away anything for me. I think he's a great player. Quite frankly, so I I also think Kakinen. When I met with the Wild in that meeting, I will tell you one piece of information we discussed heavily was him and his ability to be a starter in this league. So I'm super happy to see that happening for him and for the club, obviously. But uh, yeah, Kaprizov is, you know, just watching the the film last night and the one highlight of when he goes ten to two with his feet as he's circling around in the offensive zone. Uh, and I think it was uh, McNabb was doing the broadcast. I was watching a Colorado feed and I thought he was going to uh, 
you know, fall out of the booth. He yeah. just couldn't believe it. He's just, he's got. And this is a guy that watches Kale McCarr do this, you know? I mean, talk he, about a great skater. Exactly. Like, uh, they're not too shabby themselves in Colorado. Yeah. A number of guys there. And uh, it just really jumped out at me. The skill level is significant. Uh, Kevin Fiala has been a great player. He's bringing a lot of skill to this team now. Other players are, but this is exactly what the Wild needed and haven't really had in a long time. Is right. somebody that skilled up front. So uh, Minnesota Wild fans should feel pretty yeah. lucky uh, for some reason, and I don't know yet. His agent called me kind of out of the blue yesterday, Paul Theophanis. So <laughs> I'll let you know whatever that means, Mike, if and when. Yes. Talk to Theo, but, uh, yeah, I yeah. talked to Theo a lot the last year, I'll tell you that. Uh, yeah, you, you probably know why he's <laughs> called me. I don't. But I I've, love uh, Theo. He's a great guy. Yeah. Uh, it's maybe something to do with Panarin. Who knows? Um, he's got Panarin as well. But I'll tell you what, uh, you know, the thing about um, uh, I lost my train of thought on. Well, I've been dealing with uh, Theofana since he had Valerie Kamensky back in the day and was uh, negotiating. He was leaving Colorado. Kamensky is between the Panthers and the Rangers. So I was trying to get all sorts of info from Theo at the time. Um, Tony DeCosta, I think, deserves a uh, bonus check for the inside edge work that he's apparently done on those blades of uh, Kirill Kaprizov. I, uh, Crazy wild, good. Wild long equipment manager. All right, last question now, actually. Let's go with just one last question on the lead. We just saw Claude Julien fired the other day, which just shocked me. Um, you know, again, in this COVID world, it just seems like teams are almost having to be more patient. Do you see similar things happening? I'm not saying with coaches, but maybe even uh, – potential uh tearing a team apart with teams like nashville or calgary or are they just going to wait i don't think you'll see necessarily changes in their management like if we look at nashville they've been kind of teetering it's probably perplexing to wild fans because they've had pretty good teams the last few years and things have been humming along but they're on a real cold streak yeah david poyle is he's a great general manager he's been doing it forever in this league but things you know like for jim rutherford it doesn't take a lot to be on the hot seat in today's world. You know, they obviously they traded for Ryan Johansson. They moved Seth Jones. That hasn't gone great. They signed uh, Matt Duchesne. That hasn't gone great. Tourist contract hasn't gone great. Goaltending starting to slip a little bit. They've changed their coaches. Um, I don't see anything happening management-wise or coaching-wise this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if you see maybe some teams that you've really come to uh, respect Certainly, wild fans who have seen him a lot. Uh, I think you might be surprised by you know some of the tearing down of these teams at the yeah. deadline. Yeah. I heard Brad Treleving, uh, the Calgary GM, on a radio interview on Sportsnet the other day, and man, this is before they were swept by the by the Oilers too. And he was he was at his wits' end with that team. Uh, so it'll be just interesting yeah. to see. It, it, it's been a challenge this year, but I, I don't expect any more. Like a lot of people right away said, boy, Montreal's financial might, you know, they're utilizing it again to their advantage. They can afford to change coaches. Not so fast. They didn't hire, you know, Patrick Ouah for five years or anything like that. They're bringing in somebody in an interim, Dom Ducharme, an interim basis who they like. Um, but I'm not sure, you know, I tried to investigate if if Burge had the right to hire a coach for five years or whatever he needed to do. And I didn't get a definitive yes. So they made a change that didn't really cost them a lot of money. You got to pay the coach. Anyhow, they let Kirk Muller go. You got to pay him. Anyhow, they brought in Alex Burroughs. I mean, these are as inexpensive changes as you can make. Yeah. So I, 
I do think people are still pretty tight to the vest with the pandemic, and they're certainly not on spending sprees. Yeah. Well, hey, Brian, uh, this was a really fun, informative podcast. I really appreciate it. I just, by the way, got a um, a uh, Starbucks notification that if you get six orders by March 1st, you get 125 stars. So that's going to be a lot of Trenta green tea for you. A lot of uh, venti <laughs> Americanos with an extra shot of espresso for me. I'm going to die of thirst if I have to wait yeah. for you to buy me one. So I'll buy <laughs> Next time I see you, I promise I will get you one. I will tell you this, uh, Brian, if you are ever a GM again, I would be honored to be the beat writer for that team. I think it would be absolutely fascinating. Uh, but you do just a tremendous job on NHL Network. I, I, I just, I, I love Love watching all your shows on there um, anytime you're on, but also uh, the grand cast of uh, awesome analysts and hosts that they have on NHL Network as well. So, you know, thanks for really doing this. I appreciate it. Anytime, Mike. We got to make that happen. And I yep. appreciate the kind, kind words. And I'd be delighted to come back anytime you want. Uh, best to your family. Uh, best to Jack. Tell him I'll be texting him soon for some iPhone advice. I'm going to upgrade soon. Um, and if you're listening to this podcast, check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app and rate and subscribe to Straight From The Source on Apple. If you aren't already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash straight from the source and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. Thanks, Brian, as always. Anytime, Mike. Anytime, Mike.